This is the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy. Independent news commentary with a California perspective, featuring newsmakers, opinion leaders, and authors. Season 13, Episode 16, Mayhem and Drama at the Academy Awards. Talking with Sean Chang of the Hill Place Movie and TV Blog. We welcome back our resident movie blogger, Sean Chang, to talk about the 94th Academy Awards ceremony on Sunday night and what a memorable show it was. But let me turn the mic over to Sean to get his take on the ceremony. So, Sean, what did you think? I actually anticipated that it was going to be an Academy Awards that was probably going to be pretty awful. I was one of those people that found it very offensive that the Academy decided that they were going to have eight technical categories not included in the live broadcast. They said that they were going to have this one-hour show before the program actually begins where they would go through those eight categories. I recognize some people may not find that to be the most exciting categories, but this is really about filmmaking. The Academy Awards is an awards show. It's it's not meant to be a variety show. And by I don't know if it's ABC that decided that you know, the show had to be shorter or the Academy basically not putting up enough of a fight because the people there are more concerned about the amount of money that ABC gives them annually, which I believe is $100 million, really? to pay for the rights of broadcasting the Oscars. Um, who knows what's really going on behind the scenes? But to do that really sent a terrible message to people in the industry who work in those uh, below-the-line categories that you're just not as important. And the actual program, the way they incorporated it, which they, they did this thing where they had an announcer announce the categories, announce the names of all the nominees, and then they had a, a kind of an edited videotaped footage of the person getting up and speaking and then cutting through the audience. And I must say that one thing that I was glad to see is that people like Jessica Chastain, she kept her promise that Jessica Chastain thought it was terrible that they were doing that. And she was nominated for the eyes of Tammy Faye. So she came early and she sat in her seat uh, to support her, her makeup crew who worked with her as well as support other people in the other categories. And I also saw you know, our favorite Nicole Kidman and her husband Keith Urban was also showed up and sat there. You know, other stars like I think Bradley Cooper and Jamie Curtis did that as well. So I think that was that was very heartening to see that the stars didn't just hang out on the red carpet to be seen by the media and to pontificate or talk about their latest projects. They really came out in support. So mm -hmm. in that sense, the way they incorporated that worked better than I thought. But it still ended up being a long show, three hours and 42 minutes. So they didn't even accomplish what they set out to do by, by, by doing that. And it created a lot of hurt feelings. The show ended up being memorable for a lot of the wrong reasons beyond those eight categories. I don't think I need to basically tell the world what happened. They've probably seen the footage by now. They've read about it. But, you know, as most people know, Chris Rock, you know, came out to present the feature documentary category. He made jokes about Will Smith's wife, Jada Pinkett Smith's hair. She said, suffers from a health condition, I think called alopecia, where she's losing her hair. He made a joke comparing her to G.I. Jane, which was a film from 96, 97, I believe, um, starring um, Demi Moore as, a, as, I believe, Navy SEAL. In, in that movie, she shaved all her hair off. And apparently, I guess that was something that was upsetting to her. We're not sure what went through their minds, but that was upsetting enough to her that Will Smith got on the stage and there was an altercation that some people, I think, thought at first might have been one of the skits, you know, one of the comedy skits on the show, but ended up not being a comedy skit. And there was a slap, but Will Smith slapped Chris Rock and returned to his seat and was yelling at him and cursing and 
four letter words and ABC muted it. And it was shocking. And one of the reasons I say that some people might have confused it for a skit is throughout the ceremony, there were all these really horrible, awful comedy bits throughout that really brought it to a low grade level of, right. of entertainment and presentation that it, it was, it's easy to, to mistake it for that. I mean, they had three hosts, Regina Hall, Amy Schumer, and Wanda Sykes. Some people thought they were hilarious. If so, then their taste in comedy is completely the opposite of mine and the opposite of pretty much everyone I know. I didn't find them funny. Although I do think Wanda Sykes is a very decent person from everything I've read about her in interviews. But that was a really shocking moment when that incident occurred. I think I had texted you, Jim, when it was happening, I, asking you if you if it was real. And you said yeah, that you were convinced it was real. Yeah, absolutely. Know? I watched it. I watched it live. It was real. One, first of all, the, the joke that he made at the expense of Will Smith's wife, it, it wasn't off color. You know, Chris Rock is a somewhat controversial comic, and we all know that from time to time he does tell off-color jokes. This was not off-color. Perhaps you could argue it was somewhat insensitive to the extent that she suffers from alopecia and as a result is losing her hair. That's an unfortunate mm -hmm. condition. But he made this quip, and then almost immediately Will Smith bounded out of his chair, ran up onto the stage, and... He, when you watch the film in slow motion, he takes his hand way back and swings it all the way around. Will Smith's a big guy. He's about 6'2", I think, probably weighs 215, 220. Came right around. Chris, Chris Rock is quite a bit smaller. And to Chris Rock's credit, it didn't knock him out. It didn't mm -hmm. knock him down. He handled it with great uh, aplomb, I thought. Uh, he, mm -hmm. I guess he didn't know what to make of it. I mean, his face must have been stinging. And then Will Smith strided back to his to a seat and then started cursing him. Yes, very yes, exactly. It, it was it, it was apparent. I heard the pop of his hand on yes, Chris, I remember that on Chris Rock's face. So yeah. I I knew immediately that it it was a the real thing. And you and I were texting at the time back and forth, but but let's 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 look at it for what it, for, nothing like that has happened in Academy Award history before. I hope it never happens mm -hmm. again. And yeah. you know, as we were just discussing off air, why didn't the leadership of the Academy immediately come out or five minutes later come out and make a statement? Why were they silent? It, it's a, that's a very good question. There are a variety of people on social media or people writing articles. There was an NPR article I saw that was very well written with people who are very upset that they pretty much allowed that violent incident to occur without taking any action at all. I mean, some people. I mean, there was a CNN reporter saying that she talked to you know insiders at the Academy who said that they you know were seriously thinking about having him removed from the ceremony, but since leadership were sitting in different seats and they weren't able to get together and, and discuss it. The, the incident basically got out of hand and they weren't able to take action. Okay, I can I understand that to some degree. And they also apparently, according to some things I read, did not want the optics of having him removed by security from the theater because that could have been controversial. Okay, I get that too. But going towards your point, there were seven, six, seven more categories from that incident before the show was over. That was enough time for somebody to basically be a grown-up 
and take to the stage, speak to the audience and let them know that the Academy does not condone this behavior. They apologize to Chris Rock for what he went through. They apologize to the audience having to witness that and that they will take the appropriate action, but they're all still trying to figure it out themselves. I think if they someone had done that before this show was over, that would have been the completely appropriate thing. And I don't think it would make them look bad. I mean, it, was, it took maybe like an hour or so after the show is over that they tweeted some facile tweet that said, we do not condone the Academy. We're here to celebrate the achievements of the nominees and the winners, etc." which basically just it rubbed people the wrong way. And it wasn't until maybe around 12 East, 12 Pacific or so that they finally came out with a statement saying that they condemned Will Smith for what he did. And they also are in leadership is in meetings talking about what next steps and investigating it and deciding what they should do with him. And I'm sorry, more than 12 hours have passed, maybe 15 hours have passed. And this is a worldwide organization with an, with, you know, that's been around for 94 years. And these are, you know, executives that get paid a high salary in some instances, other people they're, they're in that position, they're in these positions that are non-paying, but it brings with it a lot of visibility and prestige. When you have a job that's that, that's that high level important, that at certain point, you got to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and make a difficult decision and just do it. Mm -hmm. Okay. The other thing I simply want to say, and I know you want to say something is that earlier in the evening, they, they subjected us to like, and I shouldn't say subjected because it's a very serious thing that we're going to, I'm going to mention. They, they basically had like a moment of silence for people of Ukraine who are suffering because of the war. Okay. But the fact that they basically had an act of violence in their own, program in their own theater, the Kodak theater, it's kind of like somebody commits an act of violence in someone's living room in their house and they let it go. They allowed an act of violence to basically take place in their living room, in essence, in their home, and they basically allowed it to go. Just you know, nothing to see here, show must go on, all that kind of stuff. So how can anyone take Hollywood or the Academy seriously when it purports to basically express concern about things like the war in Ukraine and basically hoping for peace in the world, civility and decency among humanity when they allowed an incident like that to occur. So, so Sean, what happens next? What happens? Oh. So here we are, not even 24 hours later. What yeah. happens next? And does Will Smith get to keep his Oscar? Oh, who knows? I don't know. I mean, some people are saying maybe they should take away his Academy membership. Maybe they should take away his Oscar. In principle, on on one level, I don't believe in taking away his Oscar. I mean, that's based on his performance, his work in that film. Taking away his membership in the Academy, I don't know how how much it'll hurt him really because at some point people have short memories in hollywood and eventually they'll probably forgive him and let him back in the organization i don't think any of those things are enough and it really it really basically i mean he's going to have to going to do a lot have to do a lot of self-reflective thinking on his part to try to determine what is inside of him that caused him to behave that way but i think and that's really none of our business and nothing that we can control but i do think that one thing i'm not saying necessarily that we can control but that one thing that the public should really ask for is for some accountability at the Academy. They basically allowed an act of violence to occur on television, and they basically allowed the show to go on. And what kind of a message does it send to the world? I'm not really, as I said previously in this podcast, I'm not really someone that believes that movies and TV or whatever, that actors and actresses and movies and television should be create role models or set a standard of behavior or whatever. But 
they are the ones that set, are often saying, well, oh, you know, you know, we set um, a certain perspective. We are role models and whatever have you. So they're not living up to a standard that they have set for themselves. So mm-hmm. they've got to do something. And one thing that I'm proposing is, is that let me take the time to explain this, is that there are two individuals at the academy that I'm going to name specifically. I do not know them, you know, personally, but I've read a lot about them. So I've formed certain opinions about one person in particular, and I'll try to share some information about uh, this one person, and it's Dawn Hudson. She is the CEO of the Academy. If people do a Google search, they'll find that she's a rather controversial figure at the Academy. She's not somebody who really a filmmaker. I mean, she was an actress who was kind of a failed actress with a handful of credits, and she tried to be a writer or a dancer from everything I studied. But her primary focus, Jim, have some perspective, is that she went to Harvard to study government. And I guess she said in an interview, and on a blog, I wrote about Dawn Hudson and the Academy, and if people want to seek out that article, they can read it themselves. And my memory of what the research I found about her is, is that she made a joke that when she was at Harvard studying government, she fantasized about overthrowing the American government. I don't know how serious she was, but those are <laughs> that's that's a rather strong statement. That's all I will say. Mm-hmm. She went on to be interned for elected officials and felt frustration that that wasn't that that really didn't provide her opportunities to affect the sort of political change she wanted to make in the world. So somehow she got involved with arts and films and realized that maybe that venue that films could basically you know, be didactic and send a message to the world and shape people's opinions on things. She became like a, I think, an an administrative assistant for an organization called IFP, Independent Independent Film Project, in the 1990s that later became Film Independent. And she rose up in the organization to the point where 10 years ago or 11 years ago or so, the Academy hired her to be the CEO of the Academy. The point I'm trying to make about her is, is that she's not in it for storytelling. She's not in it to entertain people. She's a bureaucrat who's in it to be didactic and to be a propagandist. And that's the thing. So if people are wondering what, why are these things happening with the academy, you know, why you know, did they read about an initiative to try to rescind the voting rights of older members, you know, try to bring in a younger, more diverse crowd, and why are there now these standards that are going to you know, be implemented in 2024 where either the subject matter has to cover people, minorities, women, or people with disability in their background, the storylines either have to be or the people who work on the film or for the studio. I mean, in my opinion, based on everything I've read, it starts with her. So Mm -hmm. if people really want to look in the world for like where the problem stems with the Academy in in terms of the direction, it starts with Don Hudson. And uh, there's also a gentleman who's the current president of the Academy named David Rubin, and he's a casting director and a very accomplished casting director. I don't think he's nearly as strident as she is, but it is his watch. He is the current president. In my opinion, and I don't say this lightly, I think I'm calling on them to resign from their positions because if they don't, if, if there isn't some consequences for someone at the academy for what happened on Sunday and what they allowed to basically happen and what they allowed the public to witness, that this becomes another one of those nothing to see here. Let's move on. It'll be swept under the rug. No one's going to learn from it. Not that I think they're going to learn from it otherwise, but at least it, a gesture will be made that demonstrates the academy took it genuinely seriously. I don't. I don't take the suggestion that they uh, should resign from their posts. 
lightly. I, you know, people need to work for a living. They need to pay their the, the position of president that David Rubin has. I mean, it's a non-paying position. And John Hudson, from what I've read, the job is fairly high paying and she's been it for 11 years. And supposedly she has high level friends in Hollywood with deep pockets who can probably get her another job. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I'm just saying, you know, that either they should consider resigning or maybe the board of governors of the academy should basically ask them to resign. And if they don't even do that, the board of governors, then I suggest that the academy membership at large, once the terms of these members of the board of governors, you know, run out, they should basically run to try to replace them because seriously, they allowed this thing to happen. And I have a theory as to why they allowed it to happen. Don Hudson, like I've said, she's this person who, you know, really has pushed for this diversity and inclusion and, uh, and initiative through the last few years. In principle, I'm not against that. You know, more opportunities for men, women, people of color, you know, that's all good. Okay. And and for people who are accomplished and talented, they should have those opportunities. But I think people like her are trying to push it to a degree where people aren't doing it fast enough, they're penalized for it. And that's the terrible way to try to basically encourage, you know, progress in that manner. So in my opinion, she's so bent on this, I think because everyone sensed that Jane Campion was going to win for best director, uh, which would make her the third woman director. And then everyone felt that Will Smith, you know, was going to win for best actor. I partly think she probably sat there and, and, and this is, this is just an opinion. I have no clue about what's in her mind other than things I've read, my own perceptions of it. She probably you know, is so bent on it. She didn't want to basically, you know, st- change the course of what she wanted her perfect Oscar evening to be. Let's move on because there was a lot of other things going on at the the awards last night of course the best picture was uh, coda i think that was mm-hmm. a bit i think that was a bit of a surprise to everyone but let's run through the other awards and uh, the best picture and the runners up and the the best actress well i mean for best picture i mean coda won and i i'm going to be honest that that everything i've read and sensed there were a lot of members in the academy who really weren't convinced that Power of the Dog, which prior to this moment had seemed to have been the front runner, was really a movie that they wanted to see win. Power of the Dog, critically acclaimed. I think I told you I watched it and I found it really boring. I Other people seem to feel differently. I respect the difference of opinion. But what I don't like is the fact that when people express the fact that they don't like Power of the Dog, there's a certain contingency either on Twitter or Facebook who's like scolding them saying, oh, my God, how shallow are you? Don't you understand? <laughs> this is good. This is art. You know, are, are you so shallow? You don't understand this? And so. That's why I was really heartened to see that there seemed to be a groundswell of support for CODA, which is a more a sweeter, more uplifting story than Power of the Dog. I also suspect that one reason why it may not have won was because two weeks prior to um, the Academy Awards, the director of uh, Power of the Dog, Jane Campion, at the Critics' Choice Awards, he gave this, people know about this, so forgive me if I'm repeating things that, things that they already know, but she gave a speech and the gist of what she said was, was Venus and Serena Williams were in the audience because their movie King Richard was also up for awards, and so she made a comment that she thinks they're wonderful, but then also says, but you don't have to compete with the guys like I do. And it really provoked a lot of ire. And it provoked a lot of ire from uh, Blacks and African-Americans who felt that that's a sort of kind of racial condescension that they often have to experience in life. She went from being this feminist hero to within 24 hours being labeled by people a racist. And and that label with some people, it still sticks. The thing thing about Campion is, is that, I mean, some people think she's a brilliant filmmaker. I'm not, I'm not really in that camp myself. 
you know, I think when she said that, when Jane Campion said that, I think, you know, it probably gave a lot of Academy voters the out they were looking for to not vote for Power of the Dog. I mean, she ultimately won last night for Best Director, but I, I would, I mean, given the fact that that movie had 12 nominations and only won one for director. I suspect her directing win, you know, is, was probably a lot closer than people realize, but we'll never know. And and the other thing about it is, is that I, I think she, it, the last podcast about the Oscars, I said that Kristen Stewart uh, might have hurt her chances for winning the Oscar for that movie where she played Princess Diana because she said, I don't give a bleep about the Oscars and that people associate with the movie have a responsibility to not say or do things publicly that hurts the movie's chances for winning awards because other people beyond that one person have a chance of having their lives and careers improved if if they might get nominated for an award or the movie gets nominated for awards. Yes. And I think in that sense, she let her other uh, colleagues down on that movie. She, ma- she made a comment that was, in my opinion, presumptuous and lacked empathy and it basically it hurt everyone else's chances. I recognize there's a lot of people who are cheering the fact that she won, but I'm just going to give an opinion about Jane Campion also that I've kind of discerned is that uh, last night when she won the Best Director Oscar, the person giving the award was Kevin Costner. Yes. And he gave us, he told a story which you liked, actually. I did. Um, I did indeed. Yeah, you, you, why, don't, why don't you tell the story and then and then I'll respond. First of all, he, he strides out onto the stage. You're reminded of his recent... TV success, Yellowstone, he has kind of a cowboy gait as he's walking out there, but he's he's wearing his black tie. And he went on to tell this little story of how he saw his first adult film quite close to where that theater was. It was How the West Was Won. It was a four-hour picture. And mm-hmm. he, he gave, a, he gave a, a very uplifting, old-fashioned, I thought, Hollywood uh, Academy Award praiseworthy speech about the old values of the Academy and so on and so forth. When he, and he introduced Jane Campion, and so when he had finished his little speech and introduced her, she got up and then snidely turned towards Kevin Costner and said, yes, that was quite a dramatic speech too, which was really uncalled for. It was probably the only traditional old-style Academy Award type speech that, uh, that that I heard anyway last night. And I, I felt that her comment was kind of snide. Perhaps she's a snide person. Maybe that's just in her character. Well, I think that's kind of the point I'm making here is, is that she did the same thing to Kevin Costner that she did to the Williams sisters. This is my opinion, that she was kind of like, you know, downgrading the Williams sisters' experience by somehow saying in that speech that, you know, whatever you've gone through isn't as challenging or as important as me because supposedly you don't compete with men like I do. And when she says to Kevin Costner and the exact words were, she thanked him. She said, oh, thank you, Kevin. And then she just kind of chuckles. She chuckles condescendingly and turns to him and she says, that was very dramatic. And it was just sort of like, when you say that was very dramatic, you're really basically downplaying sure. kind of that person's experience, life experience and what that the life experience meant to them it's it's like she can't i I got the impression she can't she's she lacks empathy and she basically can't allow the other person whether it's the williams sisters or kevin coster to have their moment to have their experience it's about her and all the people who are praising her all the people who are praising her is saying oh you know she's a feminist you know icon a role model etc etc i suspect if they ever encountered her let's say at the airport and they gushed over her she may treat them at the same level of condescension it's 
almost as though she's so insecure with all of her accomplishment. She's so insecure that when she sees somebody who might be getting more limelight than she's getting, she's got to take the air out of their bubble, which is what she did with Kevin Costner last night in that snide comment and what she did with the Williams sisters also. Let's move on to Jessica Chastain and the eyes of Tammy Faye. Were you surprised with that result? No, because it seemed like it was going in that direction for a while. She had won some previous awards. And it's that kind of acting performance, acting with a capital A, where she transformed herself physically and created her that accent and whatever have you. Sometimes, And I think the Academy usually likes to reward a performance like that. People disagree, but I, I wanted Nicole Kidman to win for being the Ricardos, but she got nominated and I was happy about that. I would have liked to have seen Penelope Cruz win for in the movie that she had won for. And it seemed like maybe there might be a groundswell of late support for that movie instead of Jessica Chastain, but it didn't happen. Fine. I mean, Chastain's been around for a lot, long time. This is her third domination. So I think people feel like, you know, like she was due the award. But but I, I'm not sure if it's a performance that's going to, you know, be a performance for the ages. Perhaps I'm wrong. But I think about the other, the other thing I have is, is that both the movie and her speech really tried to paint Tammy Faye as this sort of heroine. And I, it's just my opinion, you know, things I've read, I still, I, I still don't see Tammy Faye in that kind of sympathetic a light because I was around in the eighties as a child and I read enough about, you know, the PTL ministries and the movie basically tries to sell the notion that she really didn't understand or know about all of the, the stuff that was going on behind the scenes. And I, I don't know if I'm really, you know, by that, you know, it really painted her as this heroine. I, and I think the story is probably more complex than that. I agree with you. I, I was around for that also. Uh, she and her husband, uh, Jim, Baker were up to their eyeballs and a lot of shenanigans there at Praise the Lord Ministries, PTL Ministries. I know you're a big James Bond fan. What did you think about their their little segment on 60 years of James Bond and all the different all the different actors who played James Bond? And of course, culminating with uh, Daniel Craig. I, you know, I, I thought it was nicely done, nicely edited. Um, but the thing is, is that to have like Sean White and these like, you know, extreme sports snowboarders introduced it was kind of a strange thing. And I think that's one of the problems with the show last night. They had all of these people, music artists and whatever, as presenters rather than actual film people. And I, it goes back to what I was saying earlier in the show, that the people who run the Academy, Don Hudson, David Rubin, they were trying to create this variety show that's going to appeal to a mass audience. And really, the Oscars really is a niche it really is a niche program and it should embrace that niche niche quality. They're trying to basically bring in people that have nothing to do with film and it really kind of dilutes it, really kind of insults the people that really care about the subject. Uh, they've got Judy Dench in the audience who's, who was M in the James Bond move. She could have made a presentation about it, but rather they bring pe three people who are snowboarders and, whatever, and, they, they, and they never even worked on a James Bond movie as far as I know. Maybe they did. Maybe if they were stunt people, that'd be one thing. But that, I, thought, I thought that was really lame. And then the the Godfather 50th anniversary thing. Yes. As, as, as I mean, I, I love the Godfather movies, but you know they brought on Robert De Niro, who played the young Vito Corleone in Godfather Part Two. So it's not even you know. So he wasn't even in Part One, and so some of the choices were very, very strange. And another choice that they made that was very, very strange was the in memoriam section. Yes. And, you know, give, yeah. Give me a section. Give me a moment to really you know unpack that one. They're paying tribute to people who have died, and they've yes. got these dancers and singers on stage, which gives the effect of almost like they're dancing on someone's grave okay <laughs> so so that's just that's 
so that was just sort of like a weird surreal thing and then the way it's the way it's staged the people with their names and their images are on the screen behind them so you're having a hard time seeing who was being included it's bad enough that a lot of worthy people are not included and some people are included that are kind of questionable but you can't even see it and the other thing i thought was questionable was having speakers take the time to highlight three people. I believe it was Tyler Perry who was speaking about Sidney Poitier at yes. the outset. And it's certainly he's someone that deserves you know, to be honored. But then you also had Bill Murray talk about the director, Ivan Reitman. And then it concluded with Jamie Lee Curtis holding a rescue dog and talking about Betty White. The thing is, is that by having speakers highlight three people, you're basically highlighting them as if they were more important than everyone else that was included montage and, and that, that, that 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 list of people also included you know the great french film star jean paul belmondo and 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 the thing is is i'm sorry jean paul belmondo contributed much more to cinema than betty white who more of a television star and even the way J jamie lee curtis says thank you for being a friend that's like a lyric from the golden girls yes. tv show so i it, so so the oscars is very confused about its identity and what it's supposed to be and having leaders a leader like don hudson who really isn't a filmmaker and from my vantage point i don't think she loves movies except as a platform to get across her her political views you know doesn't help so that was you know, that was the other thing you know but i will say this um you know some of the speeches were really quite moving when troy caught sir one playing the father in coda i thought that was i thought that was a classic oscar speech a really really lovely wonderful moment and then they they cut to an actor suddenly introducing it cuts to some actor saying oh congratulations troy Kutzer. you know here's a commercial for my new disney movie i mean what bad taste I mean, just just the, just the choices that were made, and, and I, I mean, I, I I question it. But but going back to Will Smith, and I'm gonna try to say something, and hopefully what I say makes sense to people. I recognize a lot of people look to the Oscars to be role models, you know, particularly people who are non-white who are looking for role models uh, because we're going through difficult times right now, and everyone's looking for a sense of who they are. I've never been that kind of person. I don't need, you know, as an Asian, I don't need to watch movies with many Asians on screen. As I've said before on this podcast, reflected back at me to validate who I am as a person. I've never been that person, but I recognize other people do. But I think the thing is, is that by these initiatives to try to push for people to be nominated and to win Oscars, who are people, either people of color or women in terms of categories like directing or cinematography or things like that, you're pushing it to the you're pushing it and you're promoting it so that these people can be role models and as will smith demonstrated last night they're human beings they're fallible yes and when you basically create the notion that we want this to happen so people can look up to them and they can be role models to other people you're creating a situation where people are going to eventually be disappointed mm -hmm. because these are fallible human beings with flaws and they're going to let you down so that's why i think focusing on nominating people and voting for people in terms of the actual work that they did is to me the better perspective when people nominate and vote for people even if they like them it's all a subjective kind of a thing it's all a subjective perspective to begin with but i think it has in my opinion it has less of an opportunity to disappoint people in the long run because it's about the work it's not about who they think that person is in real life which you know is never going to live up to a person's expectations expectations or standards and hopes for what that person is. So that's one thing I want to say. Um, what else comes to mind about the Oscars last night, Jim? Well, what did you think about the, the closing with Lady Gaga introducing Liza Minnelli? Oh, I thought that was uh, absolutely moving and wonderful. Mm -hmm. I mean, I said a second ago, we shouldn't look at people, you know, for role models. And I hope I'm not <laughs> contradicting myself here. But I do have to say that as I'm not a fan of Lady Gaga, so I'm not putting her on a pedestal. 
I don't hate her music. I'm just not, I just don't follow her music. But I have to say, in terms of the way she presents herself you know, publicly in interviews and things like that, she seems to have a lot of warmth and empathy. And a lot of res- this is what's more important to me, a lot of respect for the veterans of the industry. The respect and care she showed, Liza Minnelli, really impressed me. And it showed that she really has a grasp in terms of the history of not just movies, but entertainment in general. And and that's, and, I, and it made me realize you know, why she is such a the revered star that she is. She should be the host of the Oscars, to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, not some of these people that they've picked. So that's so you know, thought that was that, that was a really nice touch. And I, I thought the show overall, I will acknowledge this, it, it moved and it flowed better in places than I thought. But ultimately by eliminating those eight categories, it created a lot of hurt and a lot of offense. And I don't think it was worth it considering that the show ended up being long to begin with. But, but there's a couple more things I do want to say that really kind of amuse me about the Oscars, if I can, if, I, if you don't mind me saying Of so. course, go you ahead. Know. So one of the hosts, uh, Amy Schumer, and she had said in interviews that she had hoped and asked the Academy to invite President Zelensky to speak on the Oscars. And, and rightfully so, a lot of people thought that that was a ridiculous idea. He's at, trying to lead his country during the middle of a war. He's got better things to do than appear at the Oscars, etc. And then on Saturday, Sean Penn, who's over there, you know, I think, you know, in, in Eastern Europe in the middle of this war, supported that idea and said that he would he would smelt his Oscars <laughs> that he has won if, if he finds out that the Academy never invited him. And I think that they if they didn't invite him, I think they ultimately made the right decision. Because the thing about the Oscars is it's the Oscars. It's not the United Nations. It's not NATO. Okay, there's a place for certain things. And having him take time out of leading his country to appear in the Oscars is kind of presumptuous. And I think the other thing I want to say is, is that her point of view, Amy Schumer's point of view is, oh, many people will watch it and they'll give him a platform which he can speak to the world. But I mean, everyone thinks he's wonderful. He's seen as a national as, as a worldwide hero. If he wants to do an interview with CNN, MSNBC, any of the network news channels, they would give him all the time he needs right now. And they would probably be much more appropriate venues and, and, and places to appear rather than the Academy Awards. I think the thing is, is that when she said that, and when he, and he, meaning Sean Penn, supported that perspective, it really shows kind of like, how do I call it? How some people in the movie industry really are out of their depth and really out of touch with the world. They profess to be in touch with the world and profess to basically care about what's happening. I can respect being concerned about the world, but also know your limitations and know your place. 80 years ago, when a different war situation, World War, the beginning of World War II and the Japanese attack on um, Pearl Harbor, James, stars like James Stewart, Clark Gable, Tyrone Power and others, you know, they left cushy contract player jobs at major studios and they joined the war effort, you know, and then, you know, they basically, you know, Tyrone Power became a Marine and uh, Clark Gable and um, James Stewart became pilots. And then Marlena Dietrich entertained troops worldwide with the USO. And, if, and it's been said that if she was ever captured by the Axis nations and, and turned over to Germany, she potentially could have, you know, been executed as a, as a traitor to Germany. So she risked her life. And then, and then Betty Davis and John Garfield took the time to create uh, the Hollywood Canteen, which was a service members club in Los Angeles that entertained in, in, uh, troops that were coming through mm-hmm. Los Angeles and also gave them a place of ho- a sense of uh, home, you know, while they were away from home. And I think, you know, so I'm not against the idea of, of celebrities basically, you know, trying to contribute, but also know what your limitations are. Know also, you know, 
how you can actually help, you know, and, and don't basically, you know, you know, don't basically get pretentious about your effect on the world. I'd have to say that they were Miss Schumer and Mr. Penn, self-important sense of arrogance. And it, I agree with you completely out of their depth. Zelensky was able to make his pitch to the U.S. Congress, and he certainly wasn't going to devalue it otherwise. But sure, yes, yes. In, in the remaining few minutes left of the podcast, do you have any closing thoughts, areas that we didn't touch on during our conversation today? Well, this is more of a humorous side note, and it's more of a commentary in terms of the entitlement of, of some people who are in the movie industry. And don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not one of these people who hates all of it. Obviously, if you've listened to the podcast, I love all this stuff, but I also try to live in the real world to the degree of like realizing that there are some limitations in terms of what the movie industry and, and its personnel can offer the world. One, one of the big movies was West Side Story, which I, I have to address it. it I mean... There's a lot of talent in that movie. It didn't. It didn't succeed. It was not a successful film. Uh-huh. You know, it was a financial flop. The lead actress in the film, Rachel Zegler, uh, was not nominated for Best Actress, even though at the outset it looked like she might be. And she did something like a week before the Oscars, which really, I, I really want to say something about. Where uh, some fan on Instagram asked, "What are you going to wear at the Oscars?" And she she wrote on. Um, she wrote on Instagram something to the effect of she wasn't going, she wasn't invited. I'm not, I'm not paraphrasing, so please forgive me. Something to take up. I'm not invited. I'll just be sitting, you know, watching it, you know, from wherever I am. And a lot of people got up in arms and got angry and were tweeting the Academy. And eventually she got, you know, invited to be a presenter at the Academy. And the one thing I want to say is, is that she left out a key component, which was the fact that she's in London making Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, this big budget live action movie. So she's not there. <laughs> she's not she, she's not the Oscars for a reason. She's working. I mean, yes, the Oscars probably, you know, should have invited her anyway and seen if she was available. But for her to basically present it as if she wasn't invited. Well, okay. well let's let's do this. Let's save that for let's save that for another show. But it sounds as though she was suffering from that uh, that old Hollywood ailment known as victimology. I think uh, the stars of the classic era and, and the Academy Awards used to be popular back then is I think they used to be able to relate to the stars to some degree. A lot of them did come from poor backgrounds. They probably put on an image that may not have, who knows if it was true or not, but they at least projected themselves to the public in a way where they didn't try to act like they were better than the public. I simply want to thank you for joining us again this month for your insights and your humor And I'm glad that we had you here, as always, but glad that we had you here for that commentary on Will Smith, because that was, as Chris Rock said, history was made on TV last night. And of course, it was the wrong kind of history. But but again, Sean, thank you for joining us. And we look forward to having you back for next month's episode also. I want to say, you know, for the listeners, thank you again for putting up with me and listening to my opinions. Like I said, they're just my opinions. If people feel differently and they disagree, I respect that because that's pretty much the way, you know, it should be, you know, differing opinions and everybody learning to respect each other about it. So anyway, on that note, I'll hand it back to you, Jim. Thank you very much, Sean. I appreciate it. And for my listeners, as we celebrate the second anniversary of the San Francisco experience, I want to thank you for your support. Our first episode aired on March 26, 2020, just 10 days into the COVID shelter-in-place order here in San Francisco. Today's episode is number 262, and we plan many more. 
This has been the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy, coming to you from America's favorite city, San Francisco.